The two Jills, a psychologist and psychic intuitive, reveal mind-blowing insights that turn psychology, self-help, and conscious teachings on their heads. Why? Because they work. Real help, sincere growth is here. Welcome to Sight. Hello and welcome to Psyched. I am here with Jill Lankler. Hello, Jill. Hi, Jill. <laughs> I am going to invite everybody to just take a couple nice deep breaths. And we're going to be talking about the topic of siblings. Siblings, a lot of us have siblings, or we know someone that has siblings, or we have a, a sibling-like kind of person in our life. And those relationships can be um, very complicated. They can be contentious. They can be really confusing to a lot of different layers of ourselves. So we decided that the topic today is siblings. And my title of it is the sibling myth. And we'll be talking about that. But let's, I want to just invite everybody to take a couple nice deep breaths. We are asking for our soulful support in helping us hear what is available here, helping us receive what is for our best selves, help our brains be focused and paying attention, help us hear our thoughts, and help us hear what is offered in this podcast today. And so it is. Nice. That feels so good to me. That feels so good. <laughs> I forget that, that I do that normally for myself beforehand. And then what, yeah, anyway, it's good. Okay. So siblings, Jill, this is such a common topic that people um, come to me with, or it comes up maybe in the Q and a part of a reading with somebody as I, as it's their turn to really ask whatever they want to ask and relationships and things. Adult relationships are tricky. There's a lot of, in my, in my, in my intuition and in my experience, there's a lot of kind of loadedness when it comes to siblings. There's a lot of ex um, expectations that our parents have and our families have about how close we'll be. Um, you know, I've had I've had friends and and you know parent friends, you know friends that are also parents saying, "Well, we feel like we should have more kids so that they have each other when we're gone." Yeah. And there's always a part of me going, "What if they hate each other? Or just what if they don't like each other?" And one statement that I like to use in my work is, would you be friends with your sibling if you weren't related? If you weren't siblings, would you be friends with that person? And sometimes it's yes, but a lot of times it's, oh, no, no, I wouldn't. So there's almost like this imposed friendship that's supposed to happen there that's lifelong, um, incredibly forgiving and compassionate and generous and all of these things. And I feel like it creates a lot of guilt and shame and again, confused emotions and confused roles and responsibilities. What do I owe this person or what do they owe me? Right. I have two siblings. So I have my own versions of this and I've done my own. Um, I want to say healing and sort of um, reconfiguration about of what, what these beautiful beings are um, in the world and in my life. And that gave me so much freedom. I, I feel like it gave my siblings freedom as well, where we aren't, this isn't a three-legged race um, through life with our siblings. But anyway, I'm curious, does this come up a lot for you in your relationships and friendships and your client work? Absolutely. I think, I think what you mentioned before, when it comes to family, there is such a, especially in this community for the people who do tend to gravitate towards us, that's, you know, it's a very heart forward community and we really don't understand a lot of times where we can have good relationships with you know I'll say quote unquote strangers you know but we can't somehow we we can't manage the the relationships that are close to us and in a lot of ways for me they offer you know the greatest growth opportunity for me internally because sometimes I feel like either I'm doing it or people who speak to me are doing it, we're navigating a relationship that's not working, right? We want to bring some objectivity to a relationship that is often fraught with a lot of guilt, a lot of pain, you know, shame, anger, frustration, whatever those, whatever those emotions are. 
I'm going to offer here a super, super big picture kind of view of siblings that, that people may not have thought of, okay? There's a, there's a hypothesis I have that as our, as our soulfulness, as our widest range of self, as we are choosing and deciding and designing an incarnation, you're, des you're designing a you, okay? There, there isn't, there sometimes isn't um, a lot of consideration of who else is going to be in the family. I do believe we pick our parents. Some of us pick one parent over another. And it's sort of like, yeah, as long as they're my mom, I kind of, I'm less interested in who they pick as my dad or vice versa. That can be why some of us feel a really strong connection with one of our parents, but maybe almost indifferent about the other parents. It's like, yeah, I'm not here for you. <laughs> it's weird, but I do believe that is very like eye-opening and like, oh my God, very explanatory for a lot of individuals. So sibling relationships, if it's more of like, oh yeah, you're going to be there too, right? Because in the in the grand scheme of things and with the average lifespan of mid 70s, the amount of time that you are sort of in a way stuck with siblings is very small relatively, yeah. right? Yeah. And even then, if you, the age gap is that you're in different you know, classrooms or sometimes you're not even in the same school at the same time, right? There's a yeah. lot of opportunity for autonomy and independence from that sibling, right? So I hope that that alone, maybe people want to repeat what I've just been saying for, for two minutes here, because that alone gives you more freedom for you to be you and them to be them that is soulful, right? It is based on design. It's based on wiring. Um, if you both have the same parents, do you share that genetic um, uh, connection? Yeah. So what, right? So many of us feel... Um, incredibly unique and distinct from our siblings that have the same parents, right? Right. So with the, the similarity and the distinction, though, for those of us that aren't in a, in a situation of comparing, we're just observing and noticing. Now, I have one sibling that has a different father. And wow, I mean, the differences that look to be genetic related to her having a different dad are amazing, right? Amazing. Um, and really, I mean, anyway, yeah, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> so that that context, I hope, gives people more, yeah, just more space for you to be you and them to be them, that it isn't so, and it isn't even nurture. Thank you. Um, so yes, we got the nature part, the genetics, then we have the nurture part. Even though you have siblings that were raised possibly in the exact same household, no parent, it's impossible for a parent to be the same as a parent with each child. Every relationship is unique. Every because of so many, you know, unending amount of factors, it makes it's not to say you, you know, a parent is being unfair in that way. Different kids require different things, different kids pull different shit, right? So, of course, it le leads you to be um, unique in that situation. There are some kids that you have to tell 10 times to clean their room, there are some kids you never have to tell them. That alone is an example of being a different parent. Okay, it brings out the reminder, the nagger, kind of the naggy kind of side of you. Oh, my God, you kid, you know, why can't you get this right? You know, that kind of attitude. So yeah. there are so many variables that create a different um, design around you. And then you have this internal design related to your soulfulness. So I, I wanted to start with that context, because I feel like it gives us all a sense of kind of liberty, 
<laughs> in terms of, okay, so we're, we're very different. Were we raised in the same house? Yeah. Do we share genetics if we do? Yeah. So what? So what? Right. Look, I think that's important. And, you know, we have said this before on other podcasts, you know, so we bring in some of our, how did we get here um, ideas and they, they are what, what we believe. And, you know, Jill and I, you, you and I have the same feeling that I chose my parents and the reason I just want to restate this, you know, for people, if they just got stuck on that and didn't hear the rest of what you're saying, I just want to clarify, like from a brain perspective, if, if what Jill has said that you choose your parents and who knows what we do with siblings, you know, they're choosing their parents too, presumably, and maybe that's how we all get together. But if that, if that is not speaking to you, then from a brain perspective, I would say, just try it on right? Just try on this layer of, I choose my parents. And the reason that I do that, and Jill and I always say, you choose a belief that is in service to you. It serves me to believe that I choose my parents, especially, and, or my siblings, especially if I have a fraught relationship there, because it puts me in choice. It puts me in the driver's seat. Whether it's true or not, we can't know. But if I'm saying I had no choice in who my siblings are, or I had no choice in who my parents are, we're already starting behind the eight ball of I'm. this is permanently screwed and there's nothing I can do, right? So it is a weakened, disempowered position. And Jill and I, maybe for different reasons, are saying you can shift that up. So try this on. You chose your siblings. You choose your parents. And- uh, let's, you know, operate from that empowered. And then the question is, why and how? And how do we move forward with that rather than bemoaning the error of our ways? Nice. So Jill, with siblings, yeah. um, let me see. I want to tee up a ball for you here. I want to do a really good one. Do you feel like it's possible for someone that feels icy cold towards a relative, towards a sibling in this instance, in this topic, that they can create a space of peace within themselves related to that sibling? Do you think that's possible? And what are some steps that you'd recommend for doing that? I think it's not only possible, I think we have to do that for ourselves, not for the sibling right? But for ourselves. Um, so when I come upon people either in my own life or the people that I work with who have this kind of roadblock with a family member, sibling in particular, as we're talking about now, we must change the way we perceive that person. Our historical perspective of that person is keeping us locked in this dynamic where it seems each time I go in with the right, like this time it's going to be different and somehow it ends up being the same. So I think I'm switching up something, but I'm not, and I may be switching up what I say or the way I interact, but the fundamental shift has to be deeper, right? It really has to be deeper because what I find a lot of times in working with clients, it happens so often that they kind of bite their lip. They 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 say, "I'm when that person does when my sibling, you know, borrows money from my parents again, you know, that my parents can't afford to give them, right?" And you know, you just see whether it's for gambling or it's enabling a you know a child through whatever they're going through, right? I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm going to let it go. They're not letting it go. They're just not saying something about it. So all the energy, the noticing, the judgment, that's all still there. The only difference is one was verbalized and the other one is just, you know, in staying in, in their mind. Energetically, that's felt. 
energetically, nothing has shifted. Whether you say something or whether you don't say something doesn't move the dial. It creates actually a backlog of emotion where actually the next time it happens, maybe you'll let it, let it go by not saying anything. Eventually you're going to explode. And that explosion is going to be worse than if you just incrementally said it each time because you weren't over it. Right. So what I, what I ask people to do is if you can't let it go, if it's still making your blood boil, just say it. Just say what you think. Stop taking money from mom. She can't afford it. She's on a fixed income. Whatever it is, stop it. Because it doesn't matter if you do that. Right? So you might as well just off-gas it and let it out. So the shifts come when we notice what's going on, but we don't have any running commentary on what's going on. We've taken the judgment. We've taken the emotion out of it. And we're really kind of saying like, they, they can't do any better. They really just can't, yeah. they just can't do any better. One thing I want to add to that specific example, because I do hear this a lot with my clients of, you know, well, we're supporting my, you know, my daughter, she's 45 now. And, you know, that this, I hear it on the client side. I hear it on the, the, um, my parents keep giving my adult brother money. You know, I hear it from all different sides. Yes. Another angle of this is that I like to point out to people is so you feel like you have a responsibility or that you are, it's your job to keep track of what's fair and what's a good idea for what your parents should be doing with your adult sibling. And that can be big, right? Because they may not even notice they're doing it. And I like to point out to them, so for anyone that's feeling this way, you're doing this out of love. You're concerned for your parents out of love. You're probably concerned for your adult sibling out of love, even though there's possibly some annoyance there. There's probably annoyance on both sides. Why do they keep asking for money? And why do you keep offering it? Why do you keep saying yes? You know. So in any case, do you want this to be your job anymore to monitor this, these financial transactions? Do you want to be like the compliance officer of, of just financial support, right? Because that doesn't have to be your job right? But there's an investment <laughs> there a lot of times, right? Because, you know, yeah. I, if you're taking money from a fixed pot, it's not going to the other siblings. So in some cases, that may be really exacerbating the situation, right? They're getting Completely. it twice. Yeah. Yes. So it's not, yeah. So it, not, and I'm that's not, why, that's why they're yeah. enmeshed in it, right? Because that's right. That's yeah. right. But again, so there, there's probably a whole bunch of really intelligent, um, wise expertise reasons why they feel like they're the financial just, you know, officer that needs to monitor this. But right. it doesn't have to be your job. Is you doing your job actually making a difference in the situation? Because if this has been going on for years, it, 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 nobody must be asking for your permission to do this, Right. So is it fair? Is it right? I'm not asking that question yet. No. Right? It's just, Correct. do you, this isn't your job, but you've made it your job for very good reasons. But you can also decide, this is screwed up, but this isn't my job. I can't allow this to be my job because it's driving me crazy, right? So my, there's the example of just emotional well-being too. How, you know, what's the latest, you know, how are they doing? And for a while, I, in my, in a specific example, I had to tell my parents, I don't know how to say this. I feel awful even saying it. I don't want to hear any more updates about how yeah. so-and-so is doing. I'm so sorry that you guys are going through this and that she's going through this. There's, I feel like there's, I've, I've already done everything I can is what I feel like. I'm totally compassionate and sympathetic that you're in this situation. I have no idea how I would be reacting if this were my child, but she's not my child. And my plate is full, right? Yeah. And I'm sorry, I can't be even a friend, friend-ish kind of support and sound ear for you. It just sucks all the energy out of me by every time we do this. And they heard it. They did. They were there. And I, God bless them. My parents were just like, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. And so I had to say to them at one point, like, because they weren't hearing me, I said, how would you have liked to get an update from your parents all the time about so-and-so? Right. And they were just like, oh, God, I'm so glad that I didn't get those updates. I'm like, well, there you go. That's where I am. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah. Anyway, so that's another kind of strategy. So I heard you say um, one strategy was, and I'm going to try to get them all straight. So yours was, what was yours again, Jill? How would you summarize it? So I would say if you're still emotionally invested, annoyed, frustrated with whatever's going on, you don't need to edit yourself. Oh right? yeah, just say it. That was yours. Just, just, just say what's on your mind. When you're free of it, you won't have the impulse to say anything. You will just be reflecting on what's going on without having to feel the, the feeling that you need to fix it, that this is in some way your responsibility. Yes. So I feel like you're. if we were to try to summarize so far, it's just say what's on your mind because not saying it probably isn't isn't healthy for you. And it's, anyway, it's not really authentic to be like, yeah, I just don't say anything, but you're, it's bottling up inside of you. So just say it. Um, one is rethink how you're thinking about your role in the situation and what you are responsible for, what is within your authority and possibly change your mind, i.e. allowing you to change your thoughts so that you invest less in what is happening that is not within your authority. Number three is possibly ask that it, however you are getting this information, ask that person to stop sharing with you. And then you have to stop asking about it. So here's another kind of idea that, that's coming to me related to this. What do we, what is our, what is our responsibility for our siblings, right? And yeah. I guess I'm kind of asking that rhetorically for anyone that has a sibling that is challenging or there's some codependency there, or, you know, you're feeling somehow responsible for them. You know, just really sitting with yourself and being honest with yourself, giving yourself all layers of you, your brain, your heart, your gut, right? We did this in another another episode, just act like there's a microphone at your mouth asking your brain, what is my responsibility with my sibling? And then moving the microphone to your heart, what is my responsibility in my sibling? And then moving it to your gut, your belly with the microphone, pretend microphone. Okay, gut, what do you think? <laughs> my responsibility is to my sibling. And just letting yourself have the first answer to just consider, right? It's not the answer, it's an answer. And that could, there's a lot of entangled energy when it comes to siblings. And that's why I'm so glad we're having this conversation. It feels like there's no choice. Well, I have to because that's my brother or that's my sister, right? Okay, okay, that's a choice, right? But if you don't recognize that that's a choice, the reason I think this matters is when there is some sort of an unhealthy or even toxic relationship with a sibling, there is spillover effect to every other relationship we have. Yes. With our children, with our parents, with our partners, with our spouses, with our coworkers, even with our friends, right? There's a lot of, well, you know, there's just a lot of sacrifices. I feel like a lot of the uh, maybe the higher functioning ones in the family are doing for the sake of. Um, a sibling that is having a harder time. So there is this really tough moment of, yeah, I, if that, okay, I, I'm speaking personally here. There were so many times with one of my siblings, I thought if this were me and I were having this problem, number one, the problem wouldn't even have happened because I would have seen 10 steps ahead and I could have seen that, oh yeah, if I do this, then that's going to happen. So I won't do that, Right. Somehow one of my siblings is not like that. So she's constantly through, I, ever since I've known her, in other words, my yeah. whole life, known that she finds herself in absolutely just screwed up situations that she could have prevented. Does that mean she deserves it? No, but it's, it's just sad, right? But at some point I realized she keeps finding herself there. And you know what? There's a world full of, of angels that can possibly help my sibling it doesn't, it's, it's almost arrogant of me to think that I need to keep being her angel. So yes. I took my name off of that sibling. It was filled with humility. It was filled with some shame because there is this, uh, this idea in the world of if you have a family member that needs you, it's your job right. to fill that need. Don't ask the rest of us to take care of your sibling. Don't ask, you know, social services in some cases, depending on the situation, to take care of your sibling. And and yet that's kind of where it ends up for a lot of people. I've heard the most just 
heartbreaking stories from individuals with a sibling that's homeless or a sibling that's an addict or just so many mental illness. Right. That's my, I mean, it's the, the, the thing about what, what tends to happen when you're dealing with someone who's got, you know, a sibling who's, who's got sort of repetitive issues like this is it feels so lonely, right? When you do try and get help through channels, like if it's a mental illness situation or if it's a, a, a drug addicted situation or even if a, a homeless situation for various multifactorial reasons, if you've ever tried to get someone help, it's like you're the first person on earth who's ever had to do this. And I... I have worked in the field and I have tried to get help for people who I was not working with, but who called and, you know, asked for some assistance. And honestly, it's, it's maddening, right? What should be available and how either you can't get into a facility or, you know, it's maddening. So there is a real sense of there is no help out there for them. Like it really does feel that way. And so this is why it is so painful when you have to make the decision. And when you are honest with yourself and said, I have tried everything, I've tried everything I can do, right? And that's where the humility comes in. It's this is if if you've hit your wall, it's not for you anymore, right? And that that I think is, you know, if if there's any takeaway from this, it's that we were not put here to continually bang our heads against the wall. Many of us have done our best in the face of, you know, in the face of trying to help another. And when all your best efforts fail, honor yourself, honor that other person, but, but, Give yourself and them the respect that this is not for you. You are not abandoning ship, you know, almost even willingly. But we you've you've reached your limit. The help it's we can lead a horse to water. We cannot make them drink. That's right. You just cannot do that. And at some point they have to pick up the reins. And they may never. That's another piece. They literally may and never. That's, that's the self-deception, isn't it, that happens, is that the individuals, the sibling, the help maybe higher functioning, however somebody defines that, sibling that feels like, no, it's my job. It is my job. If I don't help that person, that sibling, no one no one else can take care of them like I can. You are act. You're pretending that, that you have that, let's see, how do I want to put this? There's a, there's a game there. There's a fictional game going on yeah. of I can make them well. So it's almost like individuals that may be listening to this may think, well, well, oh my God, if that brother or sister isn't my job, then whose job is it? I'm going to give you an answer to consider, not the answer and answer. It's their job. Because if they are actually going to get help, um, grow, learn, change, get support, get medication, whatever the situation is, it has to involve them. And maybe possibly the reason that it hasn't gone as well as you have wanted it to is because they haven't felt as vested in themselves, possibly because they have you bailing them out, watching out for them, looking out for them. There's so many different variables here. Yeah, the enabling option. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So is it hard for that individual? I would totally get support. If you are an enabler and you've been pretending like your sibling is your job and you want to try out an experiment of, okay, what if they're not my job? Okay. What if I'm going to experiment that, that there are support services, there are human angels and it doesn't have to be me anymore, right? You're going to want support because that's a radical transition for you in terms of you feeling like, okay, I know what I want to do right now is call and check and see, um, you know, did the social worker go and check there. There's just so many different games that are roles that we put ourselves in that we're now we're taking ourselves out of in the experiment. 
And it takes a lot of kind of self-love and humility involved in, okay, I'm experimenting that that is not my job, right? There are so many individuals that are also not honest with, are not honest with themselves that they don't know how they would handle it if something tragic happened to that person, to that sibling, because they would feel responsible, right? I won't be able to handle it if my sibling ends up homeless. I won't be able to handle it if they die. I won't be able to handle it if they end their own life, right? Yeah. But you're you're pretending like you have authority over those decisions. And I I don't think that's true. I right. don't think that's true. I don't the think amount so. of energy vested into all of those terrible scenarios and trying to prevent them from happening, the main variable is always that sibling. So do I like that this is true? No, I don't, right? But the thing is, even in that soul, kind of that soulfulness, you didn't choose to be their parent. You may have actually said no. What if there's a scenario where your soulfulness was asked by that sibling, hey, I know you take care of me. Would you be my mom or would you be my dad? And you were like, no, yep. I wish you all the best. But no, that sounds like a never ending job. And I see that you didn't plan this design really well. So no, I'm going to, I might say yes to these as my kids, but I'm sorry, I'm going to say no to you as my kid. And then you basically end up being their parent because of all these probably really real reasons. Well, I like what you were saying because now we're getting to beliefs, right? So if, if you are honest with yourself and you're looking at what your motivators are for helping this person a lot of times it's because you couldn't live with yourself if something happened, right? So guilt and fear are the motivators. And I don't need to tell anybody who's listening to this that those are disastrous motivators, right? They do not bring change. They can't bring change, right? So what fear begets is more fear, that's it. And we have been talking hopefully enough on on our on our episodes that what you fear controls you. You are not in choice if you're operating in out of fear because that's compulsive. That's like I have to do that to stave off a feeling I don't want to feel. Right? And that's a really good place to begin is what is my motivation here? Might on top, it be like, I want to help my parents or I want to help my sibling, but I would go a little deeper for some ra radical honesty because then you say, I want to help them, but you're very clear that your help isn't really helping. So something else must be going on. And in fact, a lot of times our helping is disempowering to to another person, right? It's like, we're coming in, we'll save the day. That is that magnanimous or is that undermining? Like, again, some radical honesty here about what is really going on. And history is super important. If what you're doing isn't working, Go for the belief systems of why you keep banging your head against the same wall every day. There's something amiss there. There's something compulsive about it. And it's not probably, it's probably justified in, in love, but I think it's got a back door into a lot of fear. Yeah. Yeah. And the I love that you use the word savior because that comes up a lot too. And I had to admit this to myself with one of my siblings is it was like, it was like a part of me said, God, it's almost like you feel like you're like, it's your job to save her. And I just cringed. I was like, Oh, that sounds yeah. so gross. Right. Yeah, that's um, the opposite like, of humility. I can save her. I, yes, exactly. I can save her. And then I'm like, number one, I don't think I can, <laughs> right? She's so, she's so, the one of my siblings is so self-destructive and there is mental illness there. I'm not saying this is right. I'm not saying this, it sucks so bad. This doesn't fix the situation. So problem solvers, like I am, I know, have an extra hard time untangling themselves from these 
really, really just it, just sad situations with some with some siblings. Um, it's there's nothing right about it. It doesn't fix the situation, but it helps too from going down like the Titanic. I mean, it's just so sad. It's so yeah, sad. it is. But, it, oh, the other financially, we got to talk about the financial part because I see this a lot. That there, I mean, how many siblings do you know where if you look at their their tax statement, it's fair. <laughs> You all make the same amount of money. You all have the same number of cars, same number of homes. That's not reality, right? Unless it's some, you know, old money kind of situation that everybody got a trust fund situation. For so many siblings, there is radical disparity between the amount yeah. of income, the quality of lifestyle, right? So that ends in it too, is that if you let yourself be real, again, with that process that we were talking about before with the microphone, why am I doing this? Why is this my job? Oh, because I have more than them. Okay, then you're never done. If you're if your rationale for why you're doing everything possible, possibly at the expense of your other relationships and the expense of you enjoying this life that you have is because yeah. you have more than another person, you're never done. Because you will probably always have more than that person. Not guaranteed, but most likely, right? But again, watch the, the guilt other... there, right? Yes, watch exactly. the guilt there because it's... Yeah. Yes. it's yeah, sort of like not survivor's guilt, but sort of success guilt. Um, the other part here is the, the part within ourselves, if we are more financially successful and we do have a higher quality of life, a richer quality of life than another person. For most of us, I feel like there is a subconscious thing where we understand that it isn't fair. It isn't fair that we have more than another person. We didn't necessarily work harder. We weren't necessarily smarter. For most of the people that I know that have been very successful and more successful than their parents, et cetera, there's a part of us that understands we were lucky. It doesn't mean it's not about deserving. It's not about, but there's a part of us that maybe we don't understand that we weren't following certain steps. It just happened to go a certain way. And we're like, wow, this is nice, right? This is cool, right? But that doesn't mean that our siblings or other relatives are somehow, uh, Anyway, we get to decide what the boundary is around that or anyway, it's never going to be fair. Life isn't fair. We can't make it fair. Pretending we can, I feel is a problem too. Yes, I agree with that. Um, you know, and then there's, look, these disparities really create very difficult dynamics. It could create entitlement, right? It, um, I, I often, you know, look at sort of that victim energy, right? It's the the woe is me energy, which I have so much compassion for, but I have zero patience for. Um, but it is like filling an abyss, right? There is, there is no amount of anything materially that's going to change that because it is not materially related. It's internally modulated, right? It's it's the optimist versus pessimist, you know, that's glass half full, glass half empty. That is a perspective. And it is based on belief systems that we have. And that's why you and I really pound the idea about beliefs. And that's why we ran an encore episode about it, because those beliefs are dictating your view of yourself every day anew every day. You have to revive that belief system every day. And you look for validation because of your perspective. The brain seeks validation for what it already believes. And you will find it. You will find the reasons that compound the situation that you are already in. And, you know, that's why sometimes you need that your version of rock bottom because it's only when you completely give up emotionally or surrender emotionally that you're actually open enough to think differently. And that's really what rock bottom is. And I'm not talking okay. about suicidality, but I'm talking about like, it's almost like you give up. You got nothing and you start again. The other layer of this, um, hopefully a little bit less intense since, you know, severe <laughs> than what we've been talking about, right? No, 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 because I, 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 I'm not blaming, I kind of did it myself thinking of these 
you know, just the, there's just tragic situations that are, I mean, everybody that's homeless probably has a sibling. Let's be honest. Everybody that's on food stamps, right. Probably has a sibling, mm -hmm. um, possibly a sibling that's also not on food stamps. So the other part here on a, on a kind of a lighter topic is how your siblings treat you. If your siblings treat you in a way that you would never accept from a friend or a coworker or a stranger on the street, why out of love for you, are you accepting this from that person? Why? Yeah, it's a, a good question. Right? I feel it's, it's a, and some, well, well, because they're my sibling. If that's the only answer, I've got so many ideas <laughs> for another way of structuring your relationship with that person. Because if it was somebody in the office, you'd have somebody to complain to probably. <laughs> so bummer, there's no complaint department when it comes to family, you know, infractions, um, or at least, you know, no one's going to hold, it's impossible to hold some people accountable. That's why they, uh, that's why they behave so badly sometimes. So, but what you would do is what I was going to say, you probably minimize your contact with them, right? Yeah. If there was somebody in the office that acted like a complete asshole all the time, saying inappropriate things, uh, intentionally almost undermining you, whether they're consciously doing it or unconsciously doing it, I don't care, by the way. If somebody is a jerk to you and saying horrible things to you that are to you or just not helping you be your best you, I would want to minimize my contact with them. I literally yeah. would. But some people don't feel permission to do that, right? So you get to experiment with that. I have a situation with that one sibling that I've been referring to. If she is at my parents, I'm on, I'm not at my parents. Yeah. That's out of my love for myself. I'm not preventing anyone from seeing her, right? But I don't want to be around her. I love her and I wish her well. She has a lot of problems that I cannot fix. She has to fix those. If, there, if there's any fixing going on there, I love her and I do respect her enough that she's going to be the one that's going to make those changes, not me. And I love what you're saying because I always say sacrifice is not required. Whenever it seems like it's either them or me, right? And I have to put aside my own kind of frustrations or um, you know, how I really want to behave or what I really want in service of, you know, like pushing myself aside and then doing something that I really would prefer I didn't have to do. That's, that's a red flag. There shouldn't be, I will say in those situations, there is a third way and I make space for that third way, but I know that what I, the way I operate should not be at my expense, right? That's a really important thing. There's a martyr underlying and, you know, go to our episode on, on martyrs and, um, and kind of listen there. I won't go into it totally, but the martyr idea is that I need to put aside myself to help another. That's not the case. In this world, I believe that things are mutual. We lift up one another together. It's not when you rise, I fall, right? That's that's a zero sum game. It doesn't serve or help anyone. And to recognize that math when you're doing these equations and figuring out how you wanna behave, ask yourself what you want. And I waited way too long in life, like as a mom, as you know, I'm just like, it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what my kids want, you know, and it's not a selfish question. It's an honest question. And it feels, it feels nice to honor ourselves by asking ourselves. And it's not a, you know, I'm choosing me over you. That's not what's happening there either. It's that a choice isn't being made here between me or you. One of us isn't winning and the other one isn't losing. When I honor myself, I honor you. That's the, that is the way it actually works out. And from my, from my own experience, when I stepped away from kind of trampling my own integrity, I was actually able to, to see everybody else as so much stronger in, in my own life 
And then the relationships just naturally started to change because when you take yourself out of that fixing role, which is by definition hierarchical and uneven, you can then just be where the other person is and honor them where they are without feeling like there was something wrong with it. What you really want is for that person to to be their best self or whatever that is, which isn't you, by the way, you aren't them and they aren't you. So their version of success, their version of high functioning might be very different than you. And that's that could be okay, right? But it's possible that by you giving yourself more space in the in the experiments of this, this you know, well, let me try it if I don't feel responsible for them. What if it's possible that they actually are more open to these other human angels or social support services or something where they haven't been because their thought is, no, my siblings always take my, my sibling, you know, oh, my brother, my sister always takes care of this for me. And then right. if you're like, you know what, I need to experiment with another way of our relationship. So please never ask me for money again, or please don't call me when you're high next time or whatever, you know, if you're experimenting with those boundaries, what if they start saying yes to more individuals that are professionals in helping somebody with whatever challenges they have, then it's a win-win. Then it's a win-win, right? And there are some social services that are based on income and other support systems. So it's possible that yeah, that somebody's uh, higher functioning sibling support has gotten in the way of them being eligible even, or open to, receptive of um, the support from some of these professional social services that are there. That's possible. We don't know. You haven't run the experiment yet. Yeah, I like the I like the idea of experimenting. I think one of the most frustrating aspects for people is the help rejecting complainer, right? And it is something to make note of when you are offering suggestions because you feel like sometimes people come and ask for your help just so they can reject it. That's not overtly what they think they're doing, um, but it does make them, it does reinforce the victimology and the victim narrative, right? So you really want to watch offering you know, suggestions to people, if you, if they're like, I tried that, tried that, you know, and they they just keep rejecting, that's, that's for you to be, to, to kind of zip that up. And, and this is one that you do so well, Jill, which is, you're just like, wow, that sucks. End of story. Right. And wow, that's, that's a bummer. Right. And I know you'll figure it out. I have no idea how, but I know you're going to figure this out, right? And put the responsibility back where it belongs. Um, And, you know, again, this is speaking to the fixers, to the helpers. You know, a lot of us are going to be moms on this call and we just feel like I'm going to swoop in, whether it's with our kids, siblings, whatever. Um, it's It's our nature, right? And there's a time and a place for that. And it's usually when you're asked for help. <laughs> and honestly, I'm in when I look back at my own experience and even, you know, the people that I'm that I talk to often, um, you know, because a lot of times it's just friendships, not necessarily um clients, but people often are not asking for help. We hear it as that. But if you really back up for a minute, they're often not not asking for it. And because I personally don't sit in in victim energy very well, it makes me very uncomfortable. That's when I start just like moving forward. Okay, here we are. I get really logical about it. I'm like, what do we do? What's our next step? You know, and they're like nowhere near where I am. And I'm just forging ahead with the plan, like irrespective. (laughs) of sometimes who I'm talking to. Um, And so, you know, again, it's like, watch that beautiful impulse in you, you know, to, to want to be there for somebody, but also realize how it can be an absolute bulldozer or, you know, a very infantilizing experience for some. Um, They're not often asking. Yeah, that's a great point. And I do want to offer specific strategies and you referenced it. 
um, when there is a sibling that is that mainly the reason they're calling you is that they're uh, hinting for your help, hinting for money, hinting for sympathy, whatever it is, um, a very specific response I like to offer people is the next time they they reach out to you in any way for you know venting, complaining, uh, being in another you know uh, unfortunate situation that your response is, oh, that sucks. And Jill, you mentioned it, but I wanted to give the context for it so it's super yeah. clear because that's a strategy yeah. that works really well. Oh my God, that sucks. And that's it. No fixing, just that sucks. Sympathizing, compassion, right? And then the other uh, response is, oh my God, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Another one is, what have you tried so far, Right. So all the energy, you're being present, you're being compassionate, you are listening, but you are not putting your name on their challenges. In other words, you are not putting your, you are not feeling or acting responsible for them fixing whatever challenge they're facing. Yeah. And I think and it what, changes the relationship. I do want to add just one other little thing. It. The funny that's thing it. that happens um, the funny things that happens is that when I did that with, with this particular sibling, she stopped calling <laughs> mm -hmm. because obviously she was getting benefit from, from me, you know, you know, bantering this back and forth. And, and again, her role was mainly, yeah, that won't work. Or yeah, I tried that. It was always this rejection of me yes. investing a lot of myself in, oh my God, I got to help her figure this out. I felt more invested in solving the problem, I think, than she did, right? So by me not giving her what she wanted, whether she knew she wanted it or didn't know she wanted it, she stopped calling. Who did and she that's call? that's how you break Possibly, the problem. Yeah, so who did she call then? That's not my job. I don't know. I really don't know. But maybe it's people that were going to play the role that I played all those years. Possibly, Maybe she started just sitting with herself going, I think I got to bring, maybe I was the only one that would take her call. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is I think she is doing better in some way. She still has a lot of challenges, but I, she's not worse since I stepped out of her life. She didn't fall apart, right? She did reach out to new people. She's made new connections and new friendships. And are they toxic or not toxic? That's not my job. I just wish her well. Yeah. And I actually, you know, I've said this before too, but I'm like, Jesus couldn't get to everybody, right? That it's just, you try, you try your best, you respect your, your limitations, right? And you allow people the gift of being responsible for themselves. And could that turn out really badly? Yes. And that just has to be on the table because again, what you fear is going to, is going to keep you in the, in the game. You know, it's just, it's just going to keep you from, from ever shifting this up. So I get this with parents. I work a lot with parents around divorce and, you know, the fear, right. That that's, that's in that space. Um, and to just know it could go great. Mm -hmm. And that's where I that's where I bring in infinite possibilities in every moment because what the brain conjures is doom and gloom. If you stop doing what you're doing, even though it's not working, all shit will hit the fan. That actually doesn't make sense. What you're doing is not working. So you're not making it better, you're not making it worse. You, you are actually effectively doing nothing, but probably frustrating the shit out of yourself. And so it's, it's a very limited opportunity that the brain is queuing up. The brain is just saying, without you, this, this is the worst will happen. Not can happen, will happen. And so that's when I do the brain exercise of in every moment there's infinite possibilities my brain is telling me one just one and that's very sobering to me that that resets my whole 
because the brain is making a prediction. You're acting yeah. on that prediction. There, to your point, there are a thousand angels walking up and down the street all day long. That could actually be the person that your sibling could hear. And we don't make room for that in our mental health space when we are faced with with a with a crisis that we don't know how to deal with. And yeah, I think I, I think I've said that. I, I think it's yeah. Put a period at the end of that. I know we're we're possibly starting to wrap up here. The other the other kind of space I want to support for people is if you do want to be that support system for that sibling, I don't feel Jill or I saying you should not do that. We're just giving you more room for more choices that you may not have given yourself, okay? I would encourage you though, if you are going to continuously be a financial support and energetic support and emotional support for a sibling that has a lot of challenges in their life, that you're being honest with yourself and that you're being honest with the, your other loved ones. Um, if that's a another, if that's a life partner, if that's a spouse or a partner that you're kind of like under the table, giving that sibling money, right? We are talking about siblings in this conversation. We're not talking about children, right? Yep. So if Same you're way. supporting a sibling, then I, I feel like it's, it's more authentic for you to be honest with the others that are, that are, that should have a right to know that decision, right? Um, I have benefited so much from my husband in this situation. There were so many times when I could have just been like, but I could just write her a check. I mean, this is a, this, uh, what she needs right now is this amount of money. Right. And my husband just has a very objective. You were talking about objectivity earlier. He is more objective because it's not his sister. Yeah. Right. So he can say, you do whatever you want. This is your money, Jill, right? Because it would be coming out of my account. Um, you can. I just want you to be really clear that if you if you say yes to this, you will be you will be her bankroller for everything else that happens in her life. And I'm just like, and, and it was so sobering and it was very humbling and it was very hard um, in some of those instances. Um, but I did decide in the, some of those instances to just say, I'm sorry. I, I want to help you. And I understand that, that this is a horrible situation. It's not fair to me and my family to feel responsible for you and your family. I like that. And, and she, I think it, she stopped asking, by the way, Jill, she never asked again. Which I think is, I think that's actually amazing, right? I think that I don't know what she's feeling, but that that was, I hope, an empowered an empowered decision rather than a victimized decision. But I think one of the issues that we run into a lot, um, and I'm sure you see it in your work, I would see it in my work all the time, is that people misinterpret what the problem is. And they think like, if I just had money, I wouldn't be in this position. If I just had a place to live, I wouldn't be in that position. Um, and so the brain crystallizes around, this is the problem, money, this is the solution, get money. And both of those are misinterpreted, right? We don't actually know what the problem is. Money may be a representation or lack thereof, may be a, a representation of what the issue is, but it's not the cause of what the issue is. And when I work with people, I actually don't let them talk about money um, because it's so distracting. And I wanna, I wanna go deeper a lot of times, right? So I, I take money off the table and then we have conversations um, because it's just, it's never the cause of the problem and it's never the solution to the problem. And we know that because we've given money to the problem. It's similar to saying, I would feel my life would be great if I lost 10 pounds, right? And then you lose your 10 pounds and you know what? Maybe it's great for a few minutes, but it's only temporary. Like if you give money to someone, it's great for like two minutes, but then it all falls apart again. And then they think, right. well, the solution is I just need more money. I just need more frequency of money, whatever it is. You're, you're, you're stuck. You're stuck in a loop and you don't know what the issue is. That's right. 
And I, I will just very blatantly offer that please book a reading with me. If somebody is like, I need a specific support thing and insight on, on my sibling, I love supporting you. I have literally with my gifts, I can tap in energetically to so many different layers of this for you to consider and you to choose. Um, I, I mean, this is one of my gifts, Jill, is, is intuitively like what is going on energetically. And I completely um, support what you were just saying that sometimes the, the brain and what is asked for isn't actually, it isn't the solution. It's a band-aid on a gunshot wound. Exactly. I, I would exactly. be insulted if I was in an ER and I actually did have a gunshot wound and somebody was like, I love you so much. Here's a band-aid. I yeah. would be, I would be like, F you, I'm blading hair. <laughs> I got a bullet yeah. in me. You know what I mean? It's insulting. Intellectually, it's insulting. It's illogical, right? But so many of us are dispensing band-aids on gunshot yeah. wounds. And We're it being doesn't asked make any sense. Or we feel the need. I, I've got band-aids to hand out. You know what I mean? So there's True. just a lot of, there's a lot of self-deception. There's a lot of, I totally agree with what you were saying. The brain, the brain agrees or the brain comes up with its own thing. Well, if, if she just had the money I had, then everything would be fixed. Not true, right? Not true. So I think exactly. we have another episode on happiness and that kind of thing. There's, yeah. Yeah. There's, and, and there's a lot of things money. we think will make us happy that, that are, it's a lie. It's a lie. Cause once you get that, you're like, huh, unhappy people are unhappy people regardless of the size on their pants, regardless of the amount of money in their in their bank account, right? Happy people are happy, no matter what numbers on their pants size, no matter what numbers on their bank account. Okay, yeah, that's what's going on. But we can get tricked, our brain can trick us into chasing down these versions of happiness. And then in the sibling in the sibling topic, I will be happy when I know my sister's okay. My sister may never be okay by my standards. And I hate that. But I've had to create a situation for my Jill to be my best Jill and to be the Jill that I like amidst having a sister that may never be okay. Yeah. Just getting real there. <laughs> no, look, look, it's brutal, right? It's brutal. We, you know, seeing people in pain is, it's, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Honestly, it's heartbreaking. You know, and if that aspect didn't come through in what we were saying, it did now, right? You know, we are not saying any of this is easy. And, but we are, we are asking, you have to sometimes get a little bit more of a clinical look at something because the emotions are so intense and they do run so high and you can't, you can't think clearly you know, when, when your emotions are kind of running the show and we, many of us are practical and effective people. We have to look at the history here and what we've done to intercede and really take stock and even admit that as capable as we are, we can't fix this. It's not, it doesn't mean it's permanently damaged. It can often just mean it's not our miracle right? It's not our, our miracle to step in here and, and, and somebody else will, right? And to not operate from that, the WCS, the worst case scenario that keeps us doing the same thing over and over again, right? That's insanity. Uh, more of the same thing that doesn't work, right? Save yourself from that, right? And the minute you start doing that, being that the brain, I look at it as code, there's zeros and ones in there. But if you just pause for a second and take in even the smallest amount of what you and I have talked here today, you've upset that program ever so slightly. And it will run differently just from hearing it, even if you do nothing different consciously, just from hearing what you and I have talked about, something new will happen for you. Right? There will be something that new in this space. Mm -hmm. And so... We're not asking you to work too hard here, actually. We're just saying, just allow the energy of what we brought in here today to kind of be with you when you're operating in these really super difficult, sensitive, sad, frustrating um, situations. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
For some reason, the the organization Al-Anon is coming to my heart and mind as well. But there, I mean, for some people, they feel so alone in this. And I hope that this this podcast episode helped with that too. Um, you're not alone in this. There's probably far more individuals than you realize that have a have a very similar um, tough situation, and they don't know who to talk to about it either. Um, I know Al-Anon is mainly for uh, loved ones of alcoholics, as I understand it, but it could be that even by experimenting with with um, joining or um, going to one kind of Al-Anon sort of meeting, you might start to hear different things. They do, as I understand it, have professionals that um, that are, yes, is talking about alcoholism, but it may still be relatable even if your sibling is not an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. And I'm just providing a lot of love and compassion to anyone that that is, has, uh, if you've been here this long, then obviously you're probably in that situation yourself where you have a very challenging sibling relationship. And um, whether that's always been that way or it's only been recently, I'm just giving you a big hug. I'm so sorry that that's going on. Um, yeah, I love you guys. All right, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Um, I would, for somebody that there's a lot here, you may want to re-listen to this or re-watch this and take notes, really writing down the big things that kind of stood out for you and just not necessarily as another, like, I've got to figure this out, just something to be open to. That's a great way to approach this. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, thank you so much for sharing it with at least two people that you feel like it could be useful for. I really appreciate that. Jill really appreciates that. And we're trying to offer something unique and different in the in the sea of podcasts and yeah. in the sea of self-help and uh, personal growth and uh, personal best and spirituality and all those good things. So sending our love to all of you guys today. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.